Welcome to one more edition of Politics on Random. Berto Will is your host today. I'm honored to have Harvey Wasserman, journalist, ex-author, you name it, in the in the progressive activist movement. This is our man. This is our man. Harvey, how are you doing today, my brother? Egberto, it's always great to see you, bro. It's great to see you, man. It's great to see you. Let me tell you, first of all, um, let's let's talk a little bit about nuclear energy. It's interesting that we're going to talk about this now because I just got off a show where we were talking about the radioactivity that is found in coal ash. We were talking about what we're going to do about nuclear power versus whatever. I want to hear your point of view, but you've noticed that there's a hell of a lot happening. You sent me an article about Ron DeSantis kind of favoring nuclear as they try to kill solar. Give me the premise, sir. Okay, so the bottom line, uh, uh, Egberto, is that you are in the state that has electricity that's too cheap to meter. You are in Texas. And in Texas at night, in West Texas, the wind power is so strong that they give away electricity. Way back, you know, when, when they were selling nuclear power, they said, oh, it's going to be too cheap to meter. Well, in West Texas now, it's too cheap to meter. The problem is we have nuclear power plants. We got South Texas. We got Diablo Canyon in California. And these plants are really, really old. And they're falling apart. And they're incredibly dangerous. And we've got to shut them all down. Now, <clears throat> we have this so-called progressive governor in California. Uh, Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom. He's really tall. And I got to tell you, uh, Egberto, in the 20th century, every presidential election was won by the taller candidate. <laughs> so yeah, Gavin Newsom has a good shot. He's like 6'6", you know. So, But he is supporting the continued operation of two insanely dangerous nuclear power plants at Diablo Canyon at San Luis Obispo. They are surrounded by earthquake faults. They are falling apart. They are uninspected. They are uninsured. There was a beautiful deal made to shut them all down by 2025. And now they're making all this crazy noise about keeping them open uh, much longer. It's absolutely insane. And I got to point out to you that in South Texas, during the big freeze where people were harmed and died. Died. Over 700 died, yes. People died. The fact is that the South nuclear plant froze. The intake pipes froze. It's incredibly dangerous. Thank God the place didn't blow up. So all these nuclear plants, there are 92 nuclear reactors in the United States. They are average age is 39. Whoa, 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 hold on. The average age of the United States power the power plant is 39 years old? 39 years old. That means you're telling me there's some that may be 50 years old? Yes. I mean, it's ridiculous. The, the uh, pressure vessel, which contains the, dome, the right. reactor at Diablo Canyon, was actually built in 1967, the year I took my first acid trip. So, <laughs> so, you know, these, these are, are really dangerous reactors. They should not, the, the issue is no longer nuclear power. There's no longer big, vague, you know, philosophical, deep discussion. It is safety. 
about atomic energy. It's all about the 92 individual reactors. Right. The two reactors at South Texas are a nightmare. If they were a car, you wouldn't drive them. Well, they're lemons. I remember when they were building them, it took, it, they, they had delay after delay and mis- malconstruction over malconstruction. It was crazy when they were building it. Right. And they're, they're badly built. They're badly run. They're falling apart. They're incredibly dangerous. There, there is no reason whatsoever because to keep them operating, because Egberto, we're in the middle of one of the greatest technological revolutions in human history. And that is the move to solar energy. Everything about solar and wind and batteries and increased efficiency, you know, LED lighting has gone straight up. I tell you what, you need to make some explanation to people because I talk about back in store all the time. That is, there is nuclear, I mean, there's solar energy, there's wind energy. And the problem with those two forms of energies is that when the wind is not blowing and when the sun is not shining, you need a back in store. Now, there are a lot of technologies out there right now to provide battery power back in store. Same difference. Um, What are they that we can, uh, can ramp up to speed rather quickly? Well, every house, every home, and every commercial building and every factory in America should be the roof should be covered with solar panels, except where you have some trees. Right. Solar houses are shaded by trees. Okay, so let's leave the trees where they are. But most, virtually every building in the country should have uh, panels on the rooftops. And in the basement, you have batteries. The batteries are fantastic. They work. They're efficient. They're cost effective. There's no reason not to have them. Let me stop you right there now, okay? Uh, Because like I was talking to the others, because I said I left myself open not to old nuclear power plants, but to some new technology talking about modular nuclear. I am not not up to speed on any of that. I'm an engineer, but I never took took the time to learn about any of these. So my question to you, go ahead. Because you didn't, they're a waste of time. The small modular reactors are not going to happen. They're too expensive. They create nuclear waste. They're not cost competitive. They'll never be built. They could be blown up by terrorists. We do not need small nuclear reactors. Okay, fine. Let me go ahead now and, and, and probe you, my brother. And it goes as follows. Uh, all, what, what you, first of all, everything that you've just told me there, right, seems yeah. like a humongous economic boon potential. Okay? Yes. And, and, and first of all, however, I hate saying that because I'm not, a, I'm not one of those guys that are, that's a capitalist that to do good, we always have to see a profit motive. That's not me. I think to do good, we need to do good. And we need to have an economic system that justifies doing good. But for those who are capitalists, it seems to me like if we don't have crooked politicians, that what you just mentioned, and that's why I have a special question for you, would be a employment boon like no other if you fly over houston right now just houston one city you talk about trees there ain't no trees to cover most of the rooftops out here right it seems to me like the amount of work that is out there over a 10-year period to put solar panels and install batteries in every home every building would create a a cascading effect of employment and productivity. Am I right? You are 100% right. 
the, the, the switch to renewable energy away from coal, oil, nukes, and gas, which I call King Kong, mm -hmm. is the biggest future job provider in the history of the world. And I say that, I, you know, I have a history book that I've sent you. It's called The People's Spiral of U.S. History. Anybody want a free copy, you can email me, solartopia at gmail. And again, The People's Spiral of U.S. History, solartopia at gmail. And in this book, I lay out the transition from fossil fuels and nuclear power to renewable energy. There are 70, 70,000 people in California alone working in renewable energy. There are more people working in California in renewable energy than there are in the whole country digging coal. Texas has tens of thousands of people working in the wind industry. It's there amazing. You can, you can find the trucks constantly on the roads here going to rural Texas with these humongous blades day after day. Yes. And they work. And, and they, they are incredibly cheap. Like I say, wind power at night in West Texas is too cheap to meter. So, now, we, now, you, so I want to interrupt case, you. Real quick, real quick, though. Here's a case where capitalism and the popular good have come together. Because even if you didn't care about the environment, if you didn't care about human welfare or anything else, all you cared about was making money, you would go 100% solar. That's, that's where it's at now. It is the cheapest, fastest to build, most job-producing technology in the history of the planet. All right. Now, let me ask you the next question, because if uh, what you're talking mostly, I think, is every rooftop being solar and every basement, well, in Houston, it wouldn't be basement, every garage or whatever would have batteries as your back-in store. Now, right. my question to you as follows. It takes a hell of a lot of lithium and other rare earths to create the current, using current battery technology. Mm -hmm. And I understand that mining of these rare earths, uh, you know, again, I don't have the data, you, the data you probably right. do. Uh, do we have the sufficiency to mine? I know that there's some, some of that, those rare earths for these batteries, lithium, et cetera, right here in the United States, we have some areas in Colorado and other places that have it. And I know uh, other places like Afghanistan and these places are full of, full of it and some parts of South America. Do we have the capacity to mine, if mine without creating other problems to build these batteries without moving from one problem to another? You got to remember about lithium, it is a problem but it's not plutonium and it's not uranium. And so the problems that we have with lithium are significant, but we can transcend them. There are all forms of, uh, there, there's a huge amount of money to be made to people who find the alternatives to lithium and they are being found. So yes, lithium is a problem and also cobalt, but th those two we will transcend. And in the meantime, the benefits from using these minerals in solar panels and in batteries is absolutely essential to saving the earth and saving the economy. Okay, my, my question again, though, is that uh, because this is a question that I have a lot of my right-wingers on my program would ask all the time, and that is, are we transitioning from one form of pollution to another? In other words, is the mining of 
uh, lithium and cobalt and all these earths, rare earths that we need are mining these materials going to create less problems than, let's say, the, the burning up the earth, if you will? Much less. Yes, the problems are much less. And we hope within a few years to be done with lithium and cobalt and find substitutes. But in all these years, they've not found substitutes for uranium or plutonium. So we are well aware that there are problems with lithium and cobalt, and they will be transcended. But in the meantime, the benefits far outstrip the, the, the drawbacks. And the other thing, you gotta remember, uh, Egberto, is in addition to having solar panels on your rooftops, which will power your home and which will charge your batteries, you will also have plug-in, and many cars, many houses have this now, a plug-in for your car. Right. Where you, where you will no longer have to go to the gas station. Even today, with a plug-in hybrid, they may only get 25, 30, 35 miles per charge. Most people don't drive more than 35 or 40 miles a day. So in, in most cases, if you have a plug-in on your house for your car, you will never go to the gas station. <clears throat> and gas uh, uh, electric cars are three to five times more efficient than gas-driven automobiles. So it's a huge transition that's all happening at once. We are very glad for the dialogue on lithium and cobalt. It's essential, and we will find substitutes. But remember, they are not plutonium and uranium. You know, when, when we have these conversations, that is important because, like I said, I have the, I have a, the following that I have for uh, politics done right. We have a lot of folks on the right, and, you know, they do bring up legitimate questions that need to be answered, and I'm glad that you answered that one honestly about lithium and cobalt. I think it's extremely important that we understand that it isn't going to be some panacea of one, you know, of one hundred percent cleanliness in in this new technology, but that we transition to be better, we transition to be less damaged, we transition to keep the earth alive. Well, the goal is to have all this stuff that's going into wind and solar, and and wind, by the way, does not have the same challenges that solar does. I, I mean, the the use of rare earths in windmills is very, very limited. And we are going to get a huge percentage of our electricity from offshore windmills. Which now, are- when we, we always talk about, whenever we talk batteries, we, you know, I'm an engineer, so I, 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 I think in, you know, I, I always think methodically in, in, certain, in certain devices. And when you look at um, batteries, a battery doesn't have to be a lithium battery stored in the basement a battery can be water stored at a higher level pumped to a higher level not as efficient as lithium a battery can be an electrolysis machine separating hydrogen and oxygen from water the hydrogen that you burn later on that burning hydrogen is actually the, the the results of burning hydrogen is water so there's a lot of forms of batteries that we can have lithium being what everybody thinks of one all of the time right but there are other forms and since you're an engineer, I want to give you another heads up on uh, um, it. This is a, a, something that people don't think about. But the irony is that solar panels, photovoltaic cells, work better when they're cool. Yes. Heat is not. So that's why Colorado is actually the best state for solar, because you have 300 days of sun and it's cold in the winter. 
Right. But one of the unforeseen and very important uses of solar panels will be floating solar panels on reservoirs and on the aqueducts. Because it, uh, if you, we have them, they're in China, they're very easy to make. You make a solar panel and instead of putting it on a rooftop, you float it on a body of water. And when you do that, you cool the solar panel and you cut evaporation right. by at least half. So I think the number one place in the world where the next round of solar panels should go is to float them on the California aqueduct and on what's left of Lake Mead and of all your reservoirs in Texas. Because we need, obviously, to preserve the water. I mean, Lake Mead is almost gone, for God's sakes. The Colorado River no longer reaches the ocean. We have to stop burning fossil and nuclear fuels. And the only way we can do that is to make this fantastic transition to renewables. I'll tell you real quick, Egberto, in 1970s, we, we, they, they wanted to build a nuclear plant near my hippie farm, and we stopped them. Nobody gave us a snowball's chance, but we stopped them. And when people said, well, what are you going to do for the power? We said, uh, wind or solar. We had no idea what we were talking about. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, you know, it was a Hail Mary. But it turned out, if you had said, if you had taken how efficient and cost-effective solar panels are now and projected that in the 1970s, nobody would have believed it. Right. It had just gone straight off the charts. It's amazing, this technology. So part of it kind of makes you believe in a divine sort of a, a hand here where the very technologies that we need to uh, uh, save our economy are the same technologies that we need to save the ecology or the earth. You know, it, it is amazing. I mean, uh, you, you wonder because we know that the reason a lot of this information isn't really spoken about as you have just now is because the oil industry have their tentacles all over to suppress this type of information because uh, that means them failing much quicker than they expect to fail because you know they're invested in, in green energy right now because they know what's coming but they yeah. want to use their cheap sources of energy as, as much as they can before it goes away. Well, they're hedging their bets. Right. And, uh, this is about the turning point. We're at the point, Egberto, where the wind and solar and battery and efficiency and organic farming and electric cars, all these kind of hippie dreams are, gonna, are, are turning the point to where they're going to be economically bigger than fossil and nuclear fuels and the old chemical agriculture. And the, the reality is that the visions that we had 50 years ago have all proven to be economically more viable than the old technology. Especially for the long term. Yes. Because when we talk about fossil fuels, we have two problems, right? The first problem is, the, is, is getting more access to... I mean, look, let, let's first be frank. Peak oil with our technology today, there's no such thing in my opinion as peak oil, right? Because these guys are finding all kinds of source of hydrocarbons, all in, including when the permafrost melts, it's loaded with hydrocarbons, right? So, um, but what, what's interesting is that um, uh, we found now that it's a lot more efficient 
it makes a lot more sense and you get a lot cleaner results and you, 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 you get to mitigate in the long run these weather conditions that we're having. It may take 50 years to, to, to turn that around, but there, there is no bad answer, I guess, is, the, is what I'm saying. Well, the, the point is all these right-wingers, all these industry, industry people who are whining about how much it costs to save the environment, the bottom line is it's the opposite is true. What the technologies that will save the environment are the technologies that will make our economy boom and that will provide the jobs. And that is, Harvey, that is the hardest message to get across. And it's not, the, the problem is this, Harvey. It's not, you know, when we talk about our right-wing brothers and sisters, right? Unfortunately, yeah, they're right-wing in, in their conservative beliefs. But it's the industrialist, the capitalist uh, uh, methodology uh, uh, framing that they have the, the they have the necessary wealth to misinform and to use psychological methods to do it. How do we get around that? Because I'm telling you, I've it takes me so much time to talk to somebody who's been indoctrinated into the belief that somehow what they're doing is more viable are the only solution than what we know has to be the solution. You know, it's, it's a question of vested interests. And we're now having vested interests in the renewable industry that are going to dwarf the coal, oil, nuke, and gas guys. And the question is, can we survive? Um, you know, uh, can we shut the nuclear plants before the next one blows up and wipes out our economy? Because it will. Look at what Fukushima almost did. Yes. And will, will we be able to shut the fossil fuel industries before they burn the planet? It's going to be a very close call. The good news is we have the technologies to do it and they make sense. So when you hear these right wingers whining about the cost of saving the environment, they're completely wrong. It's the opposite. The future of the economy is right where the future of the ecology is. Look at organic gardening, for example. Organic farming is so much more cost-effective and so much more long-term healthy for the environment than chemical agriculture and monoculture. It's ridiculous. And so, you know, whereas we were hippies back in the 60s and 70s and not using chemicals and it was like this little boutique thing, now you got Whole Foods and all these other places, billion-dollar industries that are vested in organics. Well, you know what the Ukraine war has shown us, Harvey? Because Ukraine and Russia produce so much of that nitrous phosphorus, I mean, that, uh, uh, fertilizers that we, that's needed all around the world, it has shown that when you have that corporate dependency for your food supply, what really happens, which brings you right back around to why we should develop real structured organic farming. Well, listen, you know, if, if the world had converted when it should have to renewable energy, the war in Ukraine would not be happening. Right. That is an energy war. And our gas prices are going up. And it's not because of Biden. It's because of Putin, for God's sakes. You know, Putin is the guy who's created all the shortages. And it's our dependency that has really uh, made this a nightmare. Look at, for example, at France. France has been the poster child for atomic energy. Right. They have somewhere between 50 and 60 reactors. They're getting 70 or 
of their oh, electricity yeah. from nukes. So they're saying now, oh, look how Fran lucky France is. They're not dependent on the Russian gas. They can use their nuclear plants. <laughs> Half the reactors in France are shut now because they're cracked. They're old. The rivers are too hot to cool them. They are in really, really deep trouble because of nuclear power. And the same is true of Texas and California. You know, the South Texas reactors, they should be shut immediately. Cal and Texas should be 100% on wind. Texas, by far, has more wind energy than any other any state. Any other state. And you, would, you wouldn't believe that being the oil capital of the world, right? Well, it's not going to be long. Yeah. It won't be for long. Right. There, there's way more money in wind energy in Texas. It's wind energy in East Tech, in West Texas and solar energy in East Texas. Now, let me ask you something. I, I, we got to close out now, but uh, this segment out. But um, what are your thoughts on wave energy? Wave energy is possibility. Waves go up and down. Right. They're perpetual. Um, there, there are ways to do it that make a lot of sense. Uh, there's also geothermal energy, which is being been used very successfully in Iceland. Um, yeah, there's tidal energy. You know, the tides go when in the and tide out. When the come in and come out, and yeah. That, one of my favorites is underwater current. There's a windmill underwater in Norway. The problem is salt. Yeah, but you know, um, they they stuck this thing under the water. The current is way stronger and way more. Uh, um, steady than the wind than the wind but i'm going to tell you egberto the the united states of america in less than 10 years could be a hundred percent on wind power alone you know solar is great i love solar and it should be on every rooftop but if you take the wind from the dakotas down to west texas and then off the shores and in the great lakes and in the gulf of mexico we could we could have free electricity tomorrow, right. you know. It's and we've been dragging our feet because of the power of the coal, oil, nuke, and gas industries. We got to stop that. Harvey Wasserman, author extraordinaire as well as activist, environmentalist, journalist. Thank you so kindly for having been on well, Politics and Right. Th thank you. I'll send you all your listeners my book, The People's Spiral of U.S. History. Just write me at Solartopia. And Egberto, you're the greatest. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.